Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I'm chatting with Dr. Dima Karani. She's a staff physician at Cleveland Clinic Abu Dhabi's Heart and Vascular Institute. And we talk all about your heart, everything from supplements and statins to what you really need to do to keep your heart healthy and what happens to our risk of cardiovascular disease, particularly among women, if we don't. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are talking all about heart health today. And I think we're going to focus a lot on women's heart health um, because, mm-hmm. well, it's important and it's your area of expertise. Um, first of all, can you just give me like from who you see at Cleveland Clinic, can you just give me like a little umbrella view of what you see going on in the women who are coming to you? The problem. Uh, sure. So in our women's uh, heart clinic, we see um, a var- variety of uh, women with different types of diseases. But if I had to like split it into two categories, it would be uh, women with uh, a lot of risk factors for heart disease who are coming to uh, get a, uh, um, you know, an assessment of their cardiovascular risk. And we work a lot on prevention of heart disease in these uh, patients. So for example, women who are diabetic, uh, who have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or who've had um, pregnancies that were complicated by high blood pressure and diabetes. So women that are at risk of heart disease, but who may not have developed heart disease yet. So that's a big proportion of our patients. And then there's patients who've who have already developed heart disease. And then that's also a very variable type of patient population because we see women who've had like the traditional heart attacks, but then there's specific diseases that we see only in women or we see predominantly in women. So those are like rarer cases that we also follow in the women's clinic. So it's very variable. I've talked to Dr. Stephen Grubmeyer at Cleveland Clinic. I'm a big fan of his too. And um, he talks a lot about uh, genetics, epigenetics, what um, risk factors we hold, what risk factors, uh, what our lifestyle is doing, what is um, genetics and and what what we hold in our hands to sort of mitigate what can go wrong. He says for breast cancer, about 30 30, a third of it is in, is in sort of our hands with lifestyle. Are you able to sort of look at it with, with heart cardio, the cardiovascular system and tell us if in the same way, does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So that's actually been looked at, you know, so when we think about traditional heart attacks, you know, heart attacks where um, you develop like cholesterol plaque in the arteries of the heart and that that can ultimately lead to a sudden blockage of the arteries. Um, When we think about that type of heart disease, um, um, like 80% of women above the age of 40 carry at least one risk factor for that type of heart disease, whether it's high blood pressure again, high cholesterol, diabetes, or obesity and like leading a sedentary lifestyle. So there is 
a lot that women can do to help prevent the risk of uh, developing heart disease. So part of it is genetics. You know, there's some things you can't change, like obviously if um, there's, uh, for example, a familial hyperlipidemia in the family, like high cholesterols in the family, that's genetic, or if, um, you know, uh, the father or the mother have had heart disease at a very young age, like below the age of 50, then these are things you can't change. You can't change your age. But I would say most of our risk factors, we can alter. So there's, uh, that's why we focus a lot of that, a lot on that in our clinic. Okay. On prevention. And mm -hmm. what about our diet? Because it's very, very, very confusing, but mm -hmm. I know it used to, people used to believe that fat was one of the main factors, um, for cardiovascular disease. And then it's, it is, how, how, how has that changed? Is it now sugar? Is it, it now different kinds of processed food? Like what, how has that transformed over the years? So that's a very good, uh, that's a very good question. A very, uh, I think it's an area that confuses a lot of people like what to eat. And, you know, that, that has been looked into tremendously, um, from even in like in the 1950s where um, people started noticing that pe people from the Southern Mediterranean tended to have less heart disease than people that were from the Northern um, Europe, okay? And that led to several studies that looked into like different diets and then ultimately more organized and randomized studies. Um, and our conclusion, I would say, would be that um, the healthier diet is a predominantly plant-based diet or what we call the Mediterranean diet. And a Mediterranean diet is a diet that people would have consumed back in the 50s or 60s in small areas, like small villages in the Mediterranean, where people would predominantly eat a lot of vegetables, a lot of grains, whole grains, less processed food. And then when we're talking about food that comes from the animal kingdom, they were predominantly eating fish, followed by chicken, and then they consumed very little red meat. They were consuming it like once a week or on occasions. And on top of that, um, you add nuts and olive oil, you know? So there has, there has been a study that was done in Spain that looked at supplementing a Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet with olive oil. And they found that that helped prevent heart attacks. It helped prevent strokes and high blood pressure. So, so that's usually the diet that we recommend in our clinic. We try to stay away from fad diets or dieting because we're not looking at losing weight or short-term effects. You want something that becomes more of a lifestyle, you know, something that you can maintain. So for example, if, if, when I talk to my patients, if they like, like sugar, or if they like a specific thing, I never try to eliminate it, but we try to focus on adding more fresh food, fresh, uh, plant-based food predominantly and try to limiting the um, animal component. Okay, limiting. And what about um, processed food? Where does that fit in? Like again, processed, <laughs> processed food, I mean, again, um, the more processed your food, the less you know what's in it, you know? So there's gonna be salt that's hidden in it. There's gonna be fat. So again, eating fresh food is always better. Fresh food, whole food, real food, um, real food, real food. <laughs> Can you just explain where we're at with cholesterol? I'm super confused because I see uh, people on statins and then I see people mm -hmm. saying that statins are bad for you. And then I see people saying cholesterol, your cholesterol is high. And then I see other people saying there's no problem with cholesterol. It's very hard to cut through that. And I don't know 
I don't know what to think. So I, I other people must not know what. <laughs> now, cholesterol can be very confusing, even for me as a cardiologist. You know, there's been so much, uh, so much movement and discoveries in the field of lipids. You know, um, it's a very interesting. Uh, interesting field. So in general, cholesterol, I mean, there's different types of cholesterol. Um, there's the good cholesterol, what we call the HDL. So we know that the higher that cholesterol is, the, the more you're protected from heart disease. So part of that is genetics. And part of that is lifestyle, we really don't have a very good medication that can raise the good cholesterol. And that's why you'll find a lot of doctors don't focus on discussing the um, the good cholesterol, but actually if you have a very high, not very high, but like a high good cholesterol that, um, that, uh, protects you from heart disease. That's the, the, the thought. Okay. So what raises the good cholesterol is your genetics, but lifestyle. So exercise, eating a predominantly plant-based diet. So these are the things that may help. Um, and then there's the bad cholesterol. Um, there's the LDL that you want, the lower it is, the better. Okay. And there was, um, you know, the, initially we used to target it to be below hundred uh, milligram per, per deciliter. Um, recent studies show that it can go as low as 30, 40, and that doesn't really cause any side effects in people. You know, the biggest concern I think um, people had was like, oh, our body makes cholesterol. So we must need it for something. You know, if you're dropping it that low, there must be, you know, there must be a catch, but there really isn't like the brain produces its own cholesterol. So there have been studies looking at whether or not patients who are on drugs like statins to lower their cholesterol, whether or not they're at a higher risk of developing like dementia. And none of that really panned out. None of that showed that there was any evidence that cholesterol uh, lowering medications can cause that. Okay. Um, then there was a concern about, uh, at, at some point there was a concern about cancer. Does do statins increase the risk of cancer? And also that has not been proven. So um, as one uh, cardiologist put it, what he says to his patients is when patients ask him, what's the most common side effect of a statin? He says it, it will lower your risk of having a heart attack or stroke. That's really the most, most common thing it would do. So statins really have gotten a lot of negative media um, attention, um, but they're like, they're, I really believe that they benefit our patients because not only do statins didn't bring down the bad cholesterol, they have what we call a pleiotropic effect. So beyond lowering the cholesterol, they actually prevent heart attack and stroke because they have this anti-inflammatory effect. So what we noticed in our studies, when we placed patients on these drugs, even before their cholesterol came down, they were having less heart attacks and strokes. So they're, and by 20, 25%, you know, so that, that is a significant difference. So I always tell my patients like that are hesitant about being on a, on statins. I'm like, if I tell you, there's something I can offer you that can bring down your risk by 20%, like, why wouldn't you take it? You know, like, think about like just giving it a, a, a try at least. Um, yeah. So, so, and the, the most, you know, common side effect, I would say with statins would be muscle cramps or muscle aches, but then we can stop the, the medication. We could try an alternative. So there are always options than just like coming off statin therapy completely. Okay. 
So a lot of people have health anxiety. I used to have really bad health anxiety and I have a lot of cancer in my family. So I always thought I was getting some kind of cancer every five minutes. And I was talking to my family doctor and she said something that still makes me laugh. She said, everyone's so worried about cancer, but if you get heart disease, I mean, it's over. That <laughs> was so, such a funny thing to say. And I, but of, so of course I began worrying about heart disease for like a really long time. You know. <laughs> And, and I'm, I eat well and I'm healthy, but I still worry about it. And I know people do because you see these articles in the media about, you know, they, uh, women who have heart attacks, they present differently and um, doctors don't always cotton on to the fact that they are having these problems, they're underdiagnosed. So can you just sort of talk a little bit about that? Like if, what should, what warning signs should you be watching out for both uh, it, that you've got some problems happening or that you might be having a heart attack, like before, you know, the, the signs before and then the actual signs. Okay. Well, you're really ahead of the crowd by knowing that you're at risk of developing heart disease. I think when we surveyed a woman in, uh, in the UAE and in Abu Dhabi in particular, um, there's still that notion that women are at risk of breast cancer. People always worry about like breast cancer, but forget about the heart. So I think the number one thing that women can do to protect themselves is to know their risk, you know? So the first thing is to, it, it's, it, it baffles me sometimes how I'll ask about family history and patients don't know. They're like, oh yeah, I don't know what my dad had or, you know, or what my mom, like it's important to know your family history. So it's important to know if your parents have heart, have heart disease, um, have high blood pressure, cholesterol. And then it's important to um, get tested yourself, like have a physical with, uh, you know, have a, an evaluation with a physician to check your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your blood sugar, your weight and body mass index, you know, just to get an overall assessment of your cardiovascular risk. The other thing that sometimes um, there's less awareness about is um, um, what happens during pregnancy can sometimes predict what will happen to a woman in terms of her cardiovascular health later on in life. So um, even though we're a cardiology clinic, we, we still go into details about a woman's obstetric history. So we'll ask about prior pregnancies, any complications such as, you know, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, because that tells us, you know, the, the pregnancy is like a stress test for a woman and it can, can unveil um, certain risk factors. So if someone tells me they've had high blood pressure during their pregnancy, that means they need to be monitored a little closer um, and, you know, they're, they're higher risk. It identifies them as a higher risk. So the first thing a woman can do is know her risk. You know, are you at risk or not? And then um, there's a lot that can be done with lifestyle. You know, um, <clears throat> like I said, 80% of women above the age of 40 have at least one risk factor. So there's a lot to be done. You know, um, you mentioned that you're, you're, you lead a healthy lifestyle. I mean, that's, that's the best thing that you can do to yourself to prevent heart disease really is exercise. We, we recommend that people exercise 150 minutes per week. So that's like 30 minutes, five times a week. And it's moderate uh, level of activity. So it's a walk, it's a swim. It doesn't have to be like a gym membership or weights, you know, it's just being active. Um, we, uh, we meaning the, I'm, I'm basing this on the American and the European heart, um, associations, um, recommend that patients, um, or patients, um, consume a Mediterranean or some form of predominantly plant-based diet, monitor their weight. If they're smoking to quit tobacco use, um, and, um, 
you know, even manage stress, you know, there's been more and more focus on stress lately that that's important that patients, if people need their sleep, people need to manage their stress, all of this will help prevent heart disease. Um, now, there are some, some diseases that women, unfortunately, cannot, you know, prevent. Like I, I was asked previously, like if women do all these things, then are they guaranteed they're not going to have heart problems? And unfortunately, the answer is no. There are some certain diseases that we're still learning more about um, that predominantly impact women. For example, in young women, like premenopausal women, um, during pregnancy or sometimes at any point, stage in their life, they can develop tears in the arteries of the heart. I mean, those are, it's, a, it's, and that can cause a heart attack. They present with the typical symptoms of a heart attack, chest pain, trouble breathing, and they are having a heart attack. But when we um, take a look at the arteries of their heart, we find that they're not, they're not having a blockage, but rather these tears in their arteries. So this is a rare disease. Like we're still, like I said, learning a lot about it. Um, but, um, but leading a healthy lifestyle is, you know, the, the best way you can protect yourself from heart disease. Um, regarding the symptoms, you asked me, like, what are the signs and symptoms? So there's always that notion that women present a little differently. But there was this nice study that looked at, like, younger patients who presented with their first heart attack to the emergency rooms. And they found that women were just as likely as men to complain of chest pain. But they had to present more often to doctors and ERs before they underwent um, uh, further testing. So there's a lot of education to be done, not just in terms of patients, but among doctors. You know, we have to educate doctors that when they see a woman who complains of chest pain, she's just, she's at a high risk of having, you know, of dying of heart disease, that they, they need to take her just as seriously as a 50 year old man walking in clutching his chest. I mean, they're, they're equivalent. Um, so the risk, the, the signs and symptoms that we look for when someone is having a heart attack, typically people will complain of a heaviness rather than like pain, but they'd complain of like someone sitting on my chest, it's heavy. Um, this heaviness can radiate to the left shoulder, down the left arm. It can go all the way up to the neck. It it shouldn't go below the um, you know the abdomen. If it's going like down the leg or something like that, it can't be your heart. And then sometimes people just get short of breath or very fatigued, like doing things they normally are able to do. Like if someone tells me, you know, I I usually go for a walk a day, and recently I can't finish it. Though it can be something as subtle as that, or, you know, very bad nausea or sweatiness. So anything that feels unusual to you should prompt you to seek medical attention. Okay. What if you, there's a lot of people with anxiety, right? So they start, I mean, I know that I've had this, you just, you start thinking, oh, that's a pain in my chest. Oh, my chest feels weird. And then you start like galloping with mm -hmm. like all the way to the, the last possible worst thing is I'm having a heart attack right now. It's night. This has happened to me at night night and I'm just going to be open about it because this is the way it happens to me and I'm like yeah. I'm I feel like I'm having a heart attack right what if I go to sleep then I'll have the heart attack in my sleep I'll probably die I won't wake up you know I'll have these thoughts right I'm like yeah. you're not having a heart attack you know I always say to myself you haven't been having a heart attack for seven years which is the first time I thought I was heard you haven't been having a heart attack for seven years but how, what like what should you do what do you say to people because you must have patients like this who think they're having a heart attack when they're not 
you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I always take them seriously, to be honest with you, because I'm like, you know, anxiety is not going to kill you, but a heart attack will if we kind of blow it off. So any patient who comes to me with some form of symptoms, we'll start with the basics. You know, it all depends on their overall risk. Like, obviously, if I have a 20 year old who comes in with chest pain, the likelihood of her having heart disease is very low. But if someone comes to me in their 40s, 50s, 60s and is a diabetic and, you know, carries some risk factors and has chest pain, then they need to be investigated further. You know, I, I, anxiety would be a diagnosis of exclusion, you know? So once we've eliminated that it's your heart, then I could say, okay, listen, we've, we've done all the workup, you know, the workup sometimes includes, we do an ECG in the, um, in the clinic, like just a electrocardiogram where we look at the, the electricity of the heart. Uh, we do typically a form of stress test where we have someone walk on a treadmill and then we, we can use different types of imaging to image the heart. So all these tests can help us um, risk stratify, what we say risk stratify a patient or know their prognosis. You know, if you have chest pain and the tests are negative, um, then at least if you're, if you wake up with chest pain again at night, you're going to feel more reassured that, okay, it's nothing, it's, it's not my heart. Right. But I would do the testing before I ever tell anyone that it's anxiety. Anxiety is always the, the diagnosis of exclusion. Yeah. And I did have those tests seven years ago, which is why I say to myself, yeah, you didn't have a heart attack then. And you're not having one now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be something else. Like usually I would say half of our patients who have chest pain and it's not their heart, half of them, it turns out to be some form of like uh, reflux um, as well. So sometimes we empirically treat that to see if the chest pain will go away. Yeah. Your body does just give you pain though, right? Like your body just does shoot up random pain. Like that happens. You some, not repeated, but you, there will be a little pain here or there. And I guess- because do you have that? Like you just have sometimes a little pain. Do you know what I'm talking it's about? Funny when I when I was a cardiology fellow when I was training one time, um, I woke up at night with like severe chest pain and I thought, oh, it's nothing. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I could be the the fellow they find like dead in her bed the next morning that she missed the heart attack. Right. And then I woke up and I'm like, do I go to the ER? But I like I was in my 20s then. And then I like, it was reflux. It was really bad reflux. Like, you know, when you're lying down, it gets worse, but, but I, I mean, people get pains, but I think um, it depends on the type of the pain and your risk factors. Like sometimes people who, who have chronic pain, but are able, for example, to still exercise and, you know, without any chest discomfort. I mean, that to me is reassuring if their pains are happening mainly, mainly when they're lying down, watching TV. So it all depends. On the, on the individual. Okay. So we know smoking is bad. We know stress, sleep. What about very, there's a lot of people doing really strenuous exercise these days, really tough CrossFit five, six days a week. Is there any way that this is bad for your heart? Too much exercise? No, we know too, we usually deal with the other problem with too okay. little. All right. So we know that you need a minimum off the 150 minutes, there, there's been talk about the 10,000 steps a day, you know, so those are minimums, you know, we want people to be active. And um, usually what we're, when we look at data, what we find is the more exercise you do, it's more, you just reap more benefits in terms of your health. So I don't think there's a, there's a limit to exercise. Now, um, 
with certain extremes, like we've, we, there, there have been some instances where we have like marathon runners. Like when I, I, I trained in Boston and every year during the Boston marathon, we'd have a few people present with heart attacks, but we're talking about like extreme exercise, you know? Um, what I recommend to my patients is to do more aerobic exercise rather than weightlifting. You know, I know there's a trend now for people to lift heavy weights. Um, that helps. It's better than nothing, but I think it's, you, you really get uh, more cardiovascular benefit with the aerobic exercise with some weights, like for toning and muscle building, but not, you know, the heavy, heavy weights, heavy weights can also lift, raise your blood pressure. And if you have any underlying cardiovascular disease, you, you might have to avoid it. So I'd, I'd go back to aerobic exercise is the best, you know? Okay. So getting, I'm older, I'm 50. So I'm hearing all the time about, um, my risk for cardiovascular disease and perimenopause and menopause. I'm seeing all sorts of, uh, messaging and reports. So I just want to dive into that a little bit. Um, first of all, one of the things and you talked about pregnancy. So that is something that you definitely need to tell your doctor if you had any problems in pregnancy. I've seen some studies like that coming out. But um, mm -hmm. we hear all the time about how when you go through perimenopause and menopause, you have a shift in your weight from your hips and thighs to your belly. Then mm -hmm. I saw a study very recently, it was in the North American uh, Menopause, the Journal of the North American Menopause Society that talked about when you have belly fat, there's mm -hmm. a connection to the... Um, I'm going to screw this up because I'm not a doctor, a connection to the thickness of the art, uh, carotid artery, which is an indication of future problems. Yeah. So, you know, when you, when your body's naturally shifting belly fat, if sh shifting fat to your belly, how worried should we be about that? Those sorts of reports. All right. So, um, so you bring up a very important topic. So yes, like I think, um, a woman goes through a lot of changes around menopause, for sure. Um, not just, you know, in terms of body fat distribution, but even like that's usually around the time we start seeing the cholesterol go up. If people are predisposed to hypertension, the blood pressure might go up as well. Post-menopause, there's weight gain. So there's a big change. There's a lot of changes that happen to a woman's body. Um when we talk about fat, we know that the dangerous fat is this, uh, what we call the visceral fat, which is fat around the belly. Okay. That's the fat that has been linked to an increase in, in, in heart disease. And um, what you're talking about is when they look at the carotids, the arteries in the neck, they can, with an ultrasound, they can measure like the thickness of plaque. And that gives us like an idea of, of the cardiovascular risk. Um, what we know from uh, other studies that the fat that women usually hate, you know, fat around the hips, the, the gluteal fat, th you know, that's concerning for aesthetic reasons. But when it comes to cardiovascular morbidity and mortality, it has not been linked with higher morbidity, you know, and mortality. It's really just that visceral belly fat. Um, what can be done about it? It goes back to the things we've already discussed. It's like, you know, you try to maintain a healthy weight, by eating healthy, by exercising. There's been more and more interest in intermittent fasting lately. Um, and that, you know, we don't have like randomized studies to prove it, but there's been more, more and more data showing that it, it can help uh, 
maintain a healthy weight and it can help um, improve overall health, you know, uh, with intermittent fasting. So the, these are these are the things I would recommend, you know, to 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 just try to maintain a healthy weight, exercise, eat well around that time to try to avoid this fat or to limit the this distribution of fat. And what about the length of the blood pressure rising when you sort of become premenopausal or you know perimenopausal? It, can you just talk mm -hmm. about those links? Yeah. So so our blood pressure normally goes up with age. So you'll see like. Uh, you know, like for example, a lot of young women in their twenties, their blood pressure is as low as eighties, nineties, and they walk around with it, they're fine. And then usually when we're in our mid to late thirties, we start seeing a rise in blood pressure. And then after the age of 50 in women, it's probably due to hormonal changes. And um, we start seeing an increase in blood pressure even more. So um, hypertension affects women more than men actually. And when we look at women with high blood pressure compared to men with high blood pressure, women with high blood pressure are at a higher risk of developing strokes. So it really should be taken seriously. It should really be, be treated aggressively in women. Okay. And I've also seen uh, hints here and there that chest pain can be a symptom of perimenopause. It can have something to do with your fluctuating hormones. Then if you're getting hot flashes, those also feel kind of like they might involve your heart. Is there any, can you speak to any of that? Have you, is, does any of that make sense to you or are there any connections from where you're sitting? Like, how do you, how do you tell if your symptoms are due to a heart attack versus due yeah, to because just chest pains are a symptom. I've seen this multiple times of perimenopause and I've had chest pains more mm -hmm. lately, the older I've gotten. And it just feels like it could be connected because everyone's telling me my risks are going up because I'm in perimenopause. Do you know, is so it because it, of estrogen and hopping all around? Is it like, do you know why that is? Uh, I'm not sure if I have the answer for why that is, but I would say I would take it seriously. You know, again, if, if, if this is your first presentation with chest pain before saying, oh, this is menopause, I would definitely work it up. But if you've had a workup and the pain's atypical, meaning that it happens random times, you're able to exercise without experiencing it. It's, you know, self-limited episodes, then it could be due to, you know, a variety of things, but I, I would, you know, take chest pain seriously in, in, in a perimenopausal woman. I would work her up before I say, oh, it's menopause or anxiety or whatnot. Yeah. And the other thing we hear all the time is that um, we are at risk for big three, dementia, osteoporosis, and heart disease at a bigger risk at this time of age. We hear, I hear this over and over. And then, and then, you, and then I hear hormone, uh, menopause hormone therapy as a way to mitigate those, those risks. So menopause hormone, there's almost like if you're not on menopause hormone therapy or HRT as it's commonly known, you're sort of not like, you know, you're sort of playing roulette. And I'm in the position now where I'm like, okay, do I go on hormone therapy because it might mitigate my future heart problems and osteoporosis, dementia? Or do I say like, I've got a really healthy lifestyle. I'm going to take that part, you know, because if I, if I, if women who don't, who aren't ready to go the route of hormone therapy because they're having a lot of symptoms, mm -hmm. I just, what you can speak to just with the heart and hormone therapy, is there any, do you have any opinion yes, on that? Actually, yes, that was a big, big topic in uh, cardiovascular health years ago. So, you know, sometimes in medicine, what you think 
should make sense doesn't pan out in our studies. So the thought initially was that, okay, premenopausal women are protected from heart disease and we see an increase in heart disease after menopause. So, okay, um, if we give back the hormones, we're gonna protect women from heart disease. But when there was a large study that looked into that, they found actually there was an increase in risk of heart attacks when you cave women hormone replacement therapy. So actually we don't give, we never prescribe hormone replacement therapy as a preventive uh, way um, or a preventive method, you know, to, to prevent heart disease. So the role for hormone replacement therapy is really for symptoms. You know, if, if a woman has significant symptoms uh, that limit her lifestyle, then there's a role for hormone replacement therapy, but we never use it to prevent heart disease actually, because we can increase the risk of heart attacks. So. Wow. That is very interesting yeah. to hear because that is not what you hear out there, you know, when you're paying attention to this. Okay, so I need a, this isn't too much information, but I'm 50 and I need a colonoscopy. Part of me wants to go get a cardioscopy. Like I want to go and just see, like, I don't know, is that a thing? You know, just go get, get, I just want everyone to look and look at my heart and tell me everything. Is there, is there any point in that? Is there anyone that does this? Yeah. So that's what you're talking about is actually what we, we love to see patients like yourself who come in before they have anything at any, any problem with their heart. And it's called preventive cardiology. So um, we, we do have, for example, a specific clinic for that in a, at Cleveland Clinic. Um, and there's several centers around the world, obviously, who have these prevention clinics where patients come in and they want to really just get a checkup, a cardiac checkup. Um, and we do, there's, you know, that's when you, when we look at your overall risk, we take a good history, uh, a good examination, we get an EKG, so we get blood work, we check your cholesterol, blood sugar, and that gives us an assessment of your overall risk. There's even risk calculators um, in both Europe, Canada, the US that are that specifically, you know, we enter all these numbers, we enter a person's age, uh, whether or not they smoke, um, their blood pressure, diet their blood sugar, cholesterol, and it gives us like an estimate of their risk of developing a heart attack or stroke in the next 10 years. So th that's sort of like, it's not as aggressive as a colonoscopy, which is good, uh, but it, it's some form <laughs> yeah. of like an assessment of your cardiovascular risk. And then you know how aggressive you need to be with your um, prevention. You know, for example, if the risk is high based on these numbers, sometimes we'll put people on statins, even though their cholesterol numbers might not be tremendously high, but if they have like a little bit of high cholesterol, oh, they have high blood pressure, they're, you know, these things, these risk factors add up, we might have to start some form of medical therapy. Okay. Uh, and then the last question I want to ask you is about supplements. We see supplements all the time. Everyone's on supplements. Are there any supplements that you would recommend? Uh, or are there supplements that people shouldn't be taking? What is your guidance on that? So supplements? Yes, we see a lot of that here. People like give me you know, they, we, they can, we can talk for half an hour about going on statins and they're, you know, all skeptical. And then they're on like 10 supplements that they just buy from, um, and they're not even really sure what's in it. So that always <laughs> surprises me. Um, supplements have been looked at, you know, supplements with cardiovascular disease, like vitamin E, um, omega-3, which is the fish oil that has been very popular lately. And honestly, they're not harmful, but there's no benefit in taking them either. So if my patient's on them, I kind of, 
I explain that to them, that they're not really getting much benefit. They're not harmful. If they want to continue on them, they may, you know, but you know, we try to minimize the number of medications people take. We want them to focus on the medications that they will get benefits from. So I try to minimize all these supplements. Um, so for example, fish oil in the past couple of years, there've been large studies that looked into the role of fish oil and cardiac disease, and they found no benefit in taking it. So I tell my patients to just eat, you know, a, a varied, healthy, fresh plant, predominantly plant-based diet. Like I'm not telling people to be become vegetarian or vegan, but to try to uh, limit their intake of animal fats and have at least 80% of their food uh, come from plants. Um, so if, if people really do that, they're going to get a variety of vitamins. They're going to get all the nutrients that they need. Okay. So they, they wouldn't need these additions of supplements, to be honest with you. Cool it on the supplement. The food, eat the food, eat the good food, cool it on the supplement. Yeah. yeah. Unless some people have like uh, other health reasons, you know, if someone has uh, um, malabsorption issues or if they have like a true disease where they're going to be deficient in vitamins, that's a different story. But if someone's overall healthy and you're eating healthy and you get out in the sun like 15 minutes a day, you shouldn't really need uh, any supplements. Okay. And oh, for your yeah. while I have you vitamin D for your heart, what, what's your take on the vitamin? You just mentioned the sun. So how is that relate? How is that? How is it to your heart? How's it work? It's <laughs> the vitamin D with your heart. Um, um, uh, the vitamin D with your heart. I mean, um, that has been a new area of interest, to be honest with you. I'm, um, not fully updated with it, but, um, but you said but, get out in the sun, so there must be some like you. Yes, so yes. You need to for your overall health. I mean, not just for your cardiovascular health, but um, we know, for example, in Abu Dhabi, people are very uh, deficient in vitamin D. But um, you know, it's just because we don't get out in the sun, and or where we, when we do, it's for very brief periods, right? So we know that you don't need, really need that much time in the sun to get sufficient vitamin D. You just need like 15 minutes a day is like of, you know, um, vitamin D expo uh, of sun exposure, sorry, to get sufficient vitamin D levels. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You've, uh, you've helped me a lot. I feel like I've had a heart therapy session with you. <laughs> And it works for men, most of the stuff I think for men too, right? Like most of, you know, what works, it, we've talked a lot about women, but men can take away quite a few things from this conversation too. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, it's you. my pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.